you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I have got the guest of all guests today, uh, and I'll be explaining why in a bit, but I've got Matt Essamon, who is the author of Create and Prosper, and is on a one-man mission to transform the lives of freelancers and small creative agencies, basically so that they start um, living creatively, fulfilling, and, and rewarding lives, financially rewarding lives. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me here. So you you didn't start out life as a coach, did you? You you started out life as a as a creative bod, just like myself. So how how did you you did that for a number of years? But how did you? I'm more interested in the transition. How did you shift from creative person to coach? Yeah, I um, I think I've always been interested in personal development. I remember I was having a really tough time at uni in my early twenties. And my mum sent me this book by Paul McKenna and it was called Instant Confidence. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, good old mum, she means well, but you know, it's not confidence that I'm lacking. It's the fact that I just hate my course and I'm just not settling in here. But that book opened up the whole world of kind of NLP and thinking it was the first time someone had written in a book and acknowledged that we have this voice in our head. I think up until then, I kind of, believe that maybe not that was maybe just me, but it was a little bit, made you sound a bit mad when you said I speak to myself in my head. And so that was really the the first time I got kind of deep into a subject and really started to think about how our minds worked and, and personal development and, and that side of things. Um, and I was studying digital media at the time and I'd had a lot of experience in the creative industries up until then. And so when I left university, I worked for a big marketing and advertising agency down in London. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to work in the creative industries, but very quickly I realized that I was going to be a small cog in a big wheel until I got to kind of creative director status where, you know, I was allowed to sit in a room a bit like Mad Men and just come up with cool creative campaign ideas. And so I decided that I was going to go off and start my own business. And that business was a essentially a, a design agency. We did everything from web websites to social media to photographer uh, photography. It was kind of like an all-round agency. And so I did that for a good uh, five or six years. And I got to the point where I found that work fell into one of two categories. It was either really creatively fulfilling and really exciting and had an awesome brief and you got excited working with the clients but didn't have much of a budget. Um, or it was like really well paid but not very creatively fulfilling. And so I did a bit of both, but I decided that I was bored of being poor and I'd done my student years of eating pot noodles and I wanted to earn some decent money. And so I just went for these clients that were going to pay well, but you know, the work was probably a little bit boring and monotonous. And I decided the kind of antidote to that to spice things up 
was to create a, an agency that I could run from anywhere in the world. So I just finished reading the four hour work week, I think. And so I'd bought into this idea that I wanted to be a digital nomad. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to do all of these, you know, cool, exciting things. And so in about 2015, I, I started doing that and I was traveling and I was with a friend and I had a great time, but I got to a point probably about six or seven months in. And I vividly remember this time because I've actually got a photo on my Instagram um, of me sat on a mountain in Canada with a snowboard on my feet. And I'm overlooking this incredible vista with, you know, you, you could see mountains for miles and it was probably a Tuesday afternoon. And I'm taking this photo because I'm going to post it on my Instagram. And I don't know if you or anyone listening has ever felt like this, where you take this photo and you kind of feel like, Mm, this isn't that authentic. Like I'm doing the highlight real thing. Whereas actually the reality was behind the scenes, I was deeply unfulfilled. And I mean, like I was dreading going back to my hotel room and opening up my laptop to answer emails and do that work. It just felt like a chore. And so it was kind of in that moment where I realized that this probably wasn't going to be the thing that I was going to be doing for the next 10 years. And I always had this kind of underlying niggling feeling that this wasn't really what I was born to be doing and that it was, it was what I could get paid for. And it was something that allowed me to have quite a nice lifestyle, but it was all pleasure and no purpose. Um, and unfortunately it took a death in my family. My godfather's son died quite suddenly and unexpectedly. And I came back to the UK and had that time to pause and reflect. It took that to actually make me sit back and think, okay, what do I want to do with my life? Um, and that was really my moment where I kind of, I had, you know, a bit of introspect introspection, but I decided that it, what my future wasn't in, you know, design and, and digital. It was, I wanted to coach. I wanted to be in that world of personal development. It's something that I really felt was the key to making more of an impact. One of, one of the things which, because we've been on a similar journey, obviously I ran my marketing agency for 12 years as well. So similar length of time. And one of the things I found that didn't used to fill me up very much was the fact that clients would come in and kind of boss you around quite a lot and have very high expectations. And you're there going, I really want to, I've got these great ideas on how you can grow your business. And they're like, no, no, Rob, just build me a, a website. You know, that's the kind of answer which I used to get. And I ended up with 120 bosses. Mm. And it sounds like you're in a similar sort of space where you're just like, oh, this is just really isn't fulfilling and there's probably lots of people listening to the podcast who you know they're they're in those similar sorts of service client businesses where they've got like you know a dozen or 20 or 50 or 100 clients basically who are all individual bosses in their own right what would you say is a good sort of starting point to to get out of that sort of trap and start to take a little bit more um leadership of their own business their own life yeah, it's a great question. And I'm sure that that is exactly how I felt. And I talk about it now in terms of worker versus partner. So I say to people, you know, like how many clients have you got a partnership with and how many clients do you just feel like a, a worker with, you know, like a, just a gun for hire, a creative monkey. And I think the biggest trap that people fall into is this kind of scarcity mindset like they're treading on eggshells. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset anybody because they might lose their clients or they might lose the work. And that causes them to undercharge, as you know. It causes them to just, just be that kind of dog's body. And, and it causes them not to be really serving their clients. So if we really had to break that process down, I think the first thing is the mindset. Like you've got to shift the mindset to actually... 
I'm the expert here. I'm the guide. And if you want to use like a, a real world analogy, it's a bit like you're the doctor and your clients are the patients. So you've got to serve in a ethical way. And most people are just having clients come into their practice and their clients say, Hey doc, like I've got a headache, prescribe me these drugs. And people are just going, yeah, sure. And they're just prescribing away. And they're just doing the thing. They're just saying, well, I'm a doctor. I can prescribe this drug. So here you go. Here it is. And it's malpractice. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think they're serving their clients by just doing what they ask, but actually they're doing more damage in the long term. So I think the first part is, is a mindset shift. And they're doing that to kind of service their own needs though, aren't they? Because it's kind of like, oh, I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to put food on my table. Therefore, I must get clients and take on every client that possibly comes my way because I'm in need of all of the money. And yeah, they don't absolutely. actually stop to think about, well, actually the client is the, the most important person in that business. And mm. what's worse though, is when you also see sort of, um, you know, freelance businesses, small agencies who haven't been around for that long doing like you take, take your analogy that you're talking about. If I went to go and get a website built, if I, if I needed surgery on my heart, I'm going to ask the surgeon, how many times have you done this? How many times have you cut somebody's chest open and replaced the valve in the heart? Oh, you, you haven't done it before. Or, or you've only done it a few times. Right. Okay. Can I have the doctor that's been doing this for 40 years, please? Is that all right? Um, and I don't care if it costs me a lot of money. And I think that that, that, that sort of, um, that level of expertise you're talking about, it's that, that notion that actually a lot of our clients, they need us more than we need them. Mm. And that's the way you should approach it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, resonating with your point about needing to pay the bills, I had got to the point where I actually felt my clients were a bit of an inconvenience. You know, they were actually getting in the way of me snowboarding and like enjoying my traveling. And I think that's, at that point where I kind of felt like this is just a means to an end. I want something that was more than just a means to an end. I want, I don't want the travel to be the thing that is my main focus. Like I still have a business now, thankfully that I can run from anywhere in the world, but I'd be quite happy running it from this, you know, bleak office in Leeds as I would be running it from Santiago. Yeah. Um, it kind of doesn't matter. That's, that's the nice to have. That's the icing on the cake. It's not the purpose of the business. That's it. You mentioned about the four-hour work week. I mean, I always wonder about that book, whether, like, did you ever work a four-hour work week or was it just basically a holiday? I did, but my clients got very pissed off. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, just, just take a holiday and just like, you know, and you just check into your emails when you're like away on your holes for a few hours of an afternoon. You know, that's the four-hour work week. I think it's almost impossible, isn't it, to get to a four-hour work week unless you've got like a massive team and deep pockets and huge levels of sort of scalability and automation built into your business. Yeah, it's a clever, catchy title. And there are a lot of principles in the 4-Hour Workweek that I still live by and that I think are really valid. Um, I think it was of its time. And what I mean by that is it played on the wave of SEO where you could spend a few hundred pounds a month on some AdWords and get to the top of Google and you know drop shipping and all. It, it was of its time. That stuff doesn't work now tactically, but I think the strategies in the four-hour work week, like such, such as the 80-20 principles, such as delegating, eliminating, and automating, all of those kind of things, I think are still really valuable as a strategy. It's just the tactics. I, I tell you what, I'd love to see like, a 2020 four hour work week and actually what that would look like. Cause it probably yeah. actually be scratch out the four 2020 is more of a 20 hour work week, you know, through exactly. lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So you, you kind of made this transition then sort of into coaching, helping other people to kind of start to understand or not to, to essentially kind of not make the same mistakes that you went through and to um, take what you'd learned about your sort of leading a more fulfilling life and business at the same time. So what, what are the first steps that a business owner can start to sort of take in order to get a bit more fulfillment out of the work they're doing? And it, I, I'm guessing it goes a bit deeper than just kind of, um, you know, um, necessarily picking the right sorts of clients. There's got to be more to it than that. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I took from the personal development world early on was the importance of knowing your personal values and knowing your kind of the order of your needs, your emotional needs. And what I realized was that I had created all these goals for myself, but I hadn't really stopped to think why I wanted them. So I'd created, I want to travel. I want this business I can run from anywhere. I want to be earning this much money, yada, yada, yada. But I haven't stopped to ask myself why. Like, why do you want those things? Because what I'd really done is I'd created a list of things that actually made me less happy. And the way I'd done that is I'd kind of said, well, I will be happy when. I'll be happy when I can travel the world. I'll be happy when I have this, when I have that. And if we have to wait for a particular external thing to be true in order for us to be happy, then that means that all the time we're working towards that, we're unhappy. Yeah. Um, and it also means that when we get there, we've probably got so many rules and things around that particular outcome that means that we're actually not going to be as happy as we thought we were. So for example, for me, I'd said to the universe, I want this business that I can run from anywhere in the world. And I had it, but I didn't have the freedom, which is actually what I wanted. When I worked with a coach and I dug down into, well, why are you doing all these things? It was because I wanted a sense of freedom. And I had the opposite of that. I had a business that I could run from anywhere in the world, but I had clients in different time zones now because I was moving around. Um, I had clients that needed things fixed at stupid hours of the morning. You know, I was chained to my laptop. I was chained to a hotel. So I had the, the external things, the external boxes ticked, but I didn't have the emotions that went with it. And what's interesting is that when you dig down for everybody and you say, well, why do you want that? Why do you want that? Why do you want that? It always comes down to an emotion. And if you actually start with the emotion rather than the external thing, you can have a fulfilling life today, right? You can have it right now. Cause we just say in our lives, we then ask the question, well, how do I get more freedom today in my business? Like what could I do today that would give me more freedom. Well, I could even appreciate some things. I could even appreciate that I designed my day today. Someone else didn't tell me what to do. I decided when I was going to get up. I decided what I was going to work on, right? So I already have these elements of freedom. What else could I do in my business to give me more freedom? And actually you realize that there are lots of things that you could do on a daily basis to give you the feelings that you ultimately want. You don't have to wait for like someday when you have this seven figure business or you're working with these clients or you're traveling to this place. They're, they're extensions of those emotions. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I talk about Parkinson's law quite a lot in terms of how we use our sort of time freedom. And if you give a two-hour task eight hours to do it and you'll make it four times more complex to fill up the time, you'll find four mm. times as many things to do within that time to fill it up. And I think a lot of business owners um, end up sort of psychologically shackling themselves to their business because they treat it like a job and don't realise actually they have a choice. It's like um, Monday before last, it was beautiful weather outside. I had no calls booked and I, I there was a ton of stuff I could have done that afternoon, blog writing and videos and more 
more podcast episodes and things like that. And I just thought, sort it. Down tools, booked myself onto the wave down in Bristol. I had a fantastic time, had a beer afterwards, which don't tell the wife, and then came back home and just felt completely like chilled out. And I, I don't think in, in any, <clears throat> there's never been a working day that's full of work that I felt chilled out. You've got to yeah. go and find those other little pieces of freedom to kind of make it all gel and, and, and work. So I definitely get that sort of emotional connectivity. But there are still going to be people who are just, um, uh, I don't know, um, perfectionists who kind of feel they've got, to, they've got to stick there and stick out and do the nine to five in their own business. So what could be like if there's one little thing which they could do to, you know, start to turn the tides and give themselves that bit of freedom? What, what might that be? Well, I think it's, uh, first of all, you've got to look at the beliefs that you already have around working, you know, if there's a belief, you see like Gary V and all of these people like, man, hustle, if you're hustle, not, hustle, hustle. you know, if you're not working 90 hour weeks, then you're never going to grow your business. Yada, yada, yada. It's like, you've got to choose what, what, um, beliefs you buy into. And it's interesting when people say to me like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. And they're like, no, no, it's good. It's good busy. And I'm like, is it though? You know, because uh, is being busy all the time, a good thing or like, do, did you create this business in the first place or did you go freelance because you wanted flexibility and time to spend with your kids and all of those things? And really, if we think about it, like Parkinson's law is a great example because if you're strict with yourself and you book things out and you say, right, I'm going to give myself this much time to do this and I'm going to give myself this much time to answer client emails, et cetera, et cetera, and you actually commit to that and you create your own boundaries, then you realize that, the things you thought were urgent or the things you thought would happen if you didn't do that thing usually don't actually happen. And the world's still here. And you went surfing the other afternoon and you came back and the house hadn't burned down, right? Not much, no. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Dog had chewed everything and the kids had rampaged through it and tossed all the cushions on the floor and stuff. But, you know, it was, yeah, it was still but there. Yeah, apart yeah, from that, yeah, it was still there. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's about, um, first of all, questioning your beliefs around what, what does it mean to be hardworking? Um, and is it necessary even to work hard to earn lots of money? And who was just, it who said, you know, if you, if you do something you love, you'll never have to work another day in your life? Yeah. I, I can't, can't remember, remember who it was, it's a, it's a quote. It's a fantastic quote. And I, I kind of live, live by that now because I get such a thrill out of the process of doing what I do. But that also means that because I love it, I can just, I can put it down at a moment's notice and know that it's always there for me to come back to. Yeah, and then I can absolutely. start kind of moving forward with it. I think a lot of business owners in this day and age, um, you know, especially small service client businesses, freelancers, um, like creative agencies and things like that, get really hung up on marketing as being this um, wheel that we have to like crank like 24 seven in order to get clients. Mm. And they like you, 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 I have, you've invested in a book and various things like that, building marketing assets that are going to sweat and do some of that work for you and bring in leads in a more passive sort of way. And don't get me started on passive income. I think that's bullshit. But in terms of like, um, making, building marketing assets, so they bring in the leads in a more passive fashion. I think that starts to open up and that sort of freedom for a lot of, um, small business owners, lot of investment up front, but then it pays dividends further down the line. Yeah. And I think another way, if you're talking about, there's different freedoms, doesn't there? There's like freedom of time, freedom of money, uh, freedom of choice. And I think if you're talking about like freedom as a whole, 
people say, well, I, I can't take the afternoon off because I've got bills to pay and I need this client and yada, yada, yada. And they've got a whole story about why they can't do that. Like one of the easiest ways to get more freedom and to get more time is to charge more money and just say like, right, instead of having, you know, 50 clients that pay me, you know, uh, 5,000 pounds over a year, well, let's just half that. Let's have 25 clients and let's make them pay us 10,000 pounds. Yeah. And then we have less work for more money. And like you're a, you know, you're a pro at that stuff, figuring that I'm, stuff out. I'm a massive advocate of, of um, you know, half the clients double the income. That's exactly where it should be. Or even if you get the same income for half the clients, you know, half the work, hmm. um, you know, that that's a massive um, bonus. And something which I talk about a lot is kind of the sales cycle of doom. And I think this is kind of what I was alluding to. It's kind of like sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. Oh, I get ill. Oh, you know, got to go on holiday, stop selling, stop delivering take a deep breath and then it all kind of starts again and you just end up, you know, but the moment you charge a little bit more for what you do, it's like the, the universe expands because all of a sudden you get, you charge a bit more money, you get a bit more money, it gives you more time to deliver a better quality product, to get more money on the back end. And so it goes around like that. Mm. And then off the back of it, because now you're getting better results, you get more referrals, more passive marketing. Mm. Um, and, and just the, and again, the universe expands again, but I think a lot of business owners are too afraid to step out of what they know, which is the hard work and the hustle and step into, Oh, let's build a valuable asset. That's going to do some of that work for me. Mm. Absolutely. It's interesting. Just quickly touching on like the rates thing. Um, I was in on a, on a workshop earlier that I was invited to speak at and we we're talking about, um, increasing your rates. And I said, you know, what stopped you increasing your rates up until this point? And everyone's typing in the chat, like, oh, I might lose my clients. I might not win the work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I said, what if just like, ask yourself this question for a second. What if by undercharging your clients, you're actually doing their business more damage? And like, you know, it's very difficult for people to get their head around that because it's, it just sounds like a kind of counterintuitive question, but most people haven't stopped to think about that. And it's like, by increasing your prices, like you said, you've got more of your time, energy and attention to actually create the result this client needs rather than just like delivering that service, rather than just churning stuff out for the sake of it and trying to serve lots of people. It's actually like, how do we serve a smaller amount of people in a much more powerful way? You know, you can't be Tesco's. People try and do these things. And I see like the biggest mistake, they start coaching or they start their business and they want to, you know, build a course and do an ebook and da, 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 and they want to sell it for 250 quid. And, and like, you know, you do the maths and it's like, well, we need a thousand people to buy this course for it to get you to your financial goals. You know, why don't we start the other way around? Why don't we start you with a 10K product and get you selling 10 of those in a year and get you to six figures. And when you're comfortably doing that, then we can use some of that investment and that money to build some of those courses, but make them really good yeah. and, you know, create systems around it. And cause otherwise you're just going to be working hard in the field and you're just never going to get out of that cycle. And you never, you're never really serving anyone. You're just kind of serving everyone a little bit. I think there's something that there's definitely some sense in what you said there about doing things in the right order as well. Cause like you had a call this morning and somebody, um, you know, they hadn't even finished their coach, hadn't finished building their program out. They wouldn't really have anything to kind of sell yet. They wanted to learn about Facebook ads so that they could do like scale their marketing. I was like, but you can't scale your marketing because your marketing doesn't exist at the moment. You haven't sold anything. Like you've got, you haven't got a following. Like you can't just, Churn, ch chuck some ads out 
and then sell a thousand copies of a cheap course. It just does not work like that. Yeah. Actually get out there and pitch it and learn to can sell. <laughs> You know, yeah, and that's, and the, do it that's the amazing first. thing. When you're selling like higher ticket items, it is about that personal product. You can take the time to build genuine connections with people, to vet your clients. You, you can afford to do that because one sale, you know, is going to, you know, if your package is 10 grand and you want a six-figure business, you only have to do one of those a month, right? So you have the whole month to go out there and prospect and start conversations and go to networking events and add value and, you know, really serve people powerfully. And then, you know, you don't even need, I've, I've literally just signed up to a program with this guy. Um, and he's built a seven figure business without any like online marketing or anything, but he charges, I haven't paid this. He's just launched a brand new course, but, um, you know, he charges 75,000 pounds for his one-to-one -one consultancy. So he doesn't need, uh, you know, to have a big marketing funnel and thousands of people. Of those. I mean, that's, that's like happy days. You know, exactly. That's needs... Do you think people are afraid though of selling high ticket stuff? 100%. Like people and are it, afraid of sales, aren't they? Yeah. And it's all, a, it's all an internal thing. It's all a belief around money, my own value. People won't pay that. Yada, yada, yada. You know, you could go, you can go all day with those beliefs and don't get me wrong. I've had them. I haven't got to this point by not having to work through all of that shit. You know, I've had to work through my money shit. I've had to work through my mindset stuff on, I'm not good enough. No one will pay this. Can I actually deliver this result? So, you know, it's, it's a part of the process. If you want to serve people at that level and you want to charge that kind of money, it's going to come up because we've been conditioned, most of us, to believe that we should work hard in a job, you know, not, not speak up, not cause a fuss, settle down, have a family, have kids, and this is how life is, right? So if all of a sudden you throw this thing in of like, right, you're just going to go and charge someone 10,000 pounds and you've been used to charging them 150 pounds for a logo, then that's going to throw a spanner in your, your brain. It's not, it's not going to compute because it's totally out of alignment with your values and your beliefs and how you think the world works. And one of the biggest challenges I see as well, like, you know, there's, there's uh, sales trainers are like 10 a penny. And again, I, I have a firm belief that like a lot of them are just shit. Basically they churn out that whole, you've got to build rapport. You've got, here's my, you know, five step process that's going to do X, Y, and Z. And then I'll pitch you the business and that, you know, and like NAF kind of objection handling and stuff like that. And, it kind of just makes me a little, little bit of sick kind of comes up when you start to see the sell, like the, the really traditional sort of sales trainers um, who are still kind of doing it in the old school way. Like you don't need to sell like that in this day and age, do you? You know, no. especially when you're dealing with creatives, like, um, you know, and, and, and small businesses like, like we're used to kind of working with, you don't need to sell like that. It's all about like building relationships, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a, I think one of the things that's moving me more towards uh, mastering sales, I suppose, um, is the psychology of it. Like for me, the lines between coaching and sales just keep getting closer and closer together. I'm finding that my sales conversations are more like coaching conversations now. And I've got to the point where in 20 minutes, like I had a call with someone the other week in 20 minutes, I'm uncovering things that maybe used to take me like an hour or 90 minutes. And that one little bit where they just go, holy shit, how did you get that? Like, how did you know that? Just because I'm, I'm so trained. I've had so many conversations now. I'm like, I've heard this a million times. It's the same shit. Like, 
the reason that you're not charging enough money, the reason that you're bending over backwards for your clients is fundamentally because you have a problem with boundaries in your life and you have this kind of scarcity mindset that you think you have to keep everyone happy. And if you put a foot out of line, then the whole world is going to fall to pieces. And so you bend over backwards, you're a people pleaser. Like that's just a pattern, you know? And once you know what patterns to spot, you can say, hey, look, it sounds like you're running this pattern. And someone goes, oh my God, I've never even concerned that before. And so I find that in sales, if you're having a conversation with someone and you can bring a kind of uh, an uh, like an unsaid or an undiscovered problem to the surface in that call, then all of a sudden, you know, they they want you to help them solve that because they weren't able to see that problem for themselves. And it's that's the same in, in coaching. It? Yeah, it's, it's like um, so. I always talk about sales as you uh, how you sell is a, normally a reflection on how you buy stuff. So if mm. you're used to buying cheap stuff, you'll sell sell cheap stuff. Or if you want to try and sell expensive stuff, you're going to struggle because you're so used to buying cheap stuff all the time, you know, at a very basic level. And, um, you know, so I, I often, um, when somebody says to me, for example, oh gosh, Robin, that's, you know, fearless business expensive. I go, well, is it, or is it the fact that, you know, you can't, you can't see, like if you were to try and sell a 3k program or 5k or 10k program, for example, you'd struggle to do that because, you know, you see it as being expensive yet you've told me in your assessment that you want to sell a similar price program, you know, cause I work with a lot of coaching and consultants and they go, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of it like that. So you just offer And it's like, it's, it's right there, right in front of their face. And you just offer them like a really honest kind of like appraisal of the situation. Like, ah, oh. and you immediately get that kind of flick that switch inside them where they're like, yeah, that's just, I've just been giving you a load of BS basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you kind of fire off your questions in a minute, but I just want to kind of bring one, I think important thing to the, to the call, which is all of this stuff we're talking about really fundamentally underlying it is this kind of abundance versus scarcity mindset or a serving versus sales mindset and a sales mindset of somebody who's salesy and is like, you know, um, comes across as somebody who's trying to sell something is attached to the outcome. They just want the sale, right? Somebody who is serving from an abundance mindset of there's plenty of opportunity. This might be the right fit. It might not is willing to have those hard conversations and have those hard questions because they're not attached to the outcome. And so by having an abundance mindset and not being attached to the outcome, you're serving your clients so much more powerfully. And that goes, that doesn't, not just in the coaching world, but in the world of creativity and service. Like if you're just bending over backwards for the client and doing what they tell you, you're not serving the client. But if you believe that there's a load of clients out there that you can help and you come from that, you know, position of serving and abundance, then you'll say, do you know what? Actually, this is a load of bollocks and you're not going to get the result if you do this. And look, if you want to go do that, then that's fine. I can't, can't stop you from doing it, but I'm not going to be the one that's going to watch you crash and burn. So, you know, I'll give you an option here. You can either do it with us and we'll take responsibility of this result, or you can do it on your own and, and do what you want. And like, that's totally up to you, but I'm not coming from that place of, Oh God, we need this client. So we're going to hang on to it and crash and burn with them probably. Yeah. Um, I'm coming to a place of, look, I'm just here to serve you. And so I just thought I'd give you a really tangible example. I won't share like the name or anything, but I've started to use Instagram a bit more to kind of promote my business. And I put this training out there. Um, and so some people have been watching the training and I kind of follow up with them and say, Hey, what did you think of the training? And so, um, you know, some, some people come back and say, yeah, yeah, 
it was good. And I go, okay, cool. Um, just out of interest, why did you, because there's a, there's a call to action at the bottom. If you want some help with this, book a call. Yeah. And so I'm always curious, why didn't you book a call? And so I said to this person, well, why didn't you book a call? And they said, well, that's a good question. I think maybe because there weren't any price indicators, right? Now I could have just said, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. But I thought I want to serve this person, right? I don't, I don't care whether they become a client or not. I want to serve them here. So I just went back and I said, that's interesting. So I'm curious, do you need to know the price of something before you find out if it's the right fit for you? And they said, well, yeah, it's one aspect for me. And I'm very, I'm a very critical customer. So I said, okay, well, look, can I share a thought with you? And they said, of course. I said, maybe this is why you're attracting those kind of clients. All right. And they were like, Oh my God, I love that answer. And they booked a call with me, right? <laughs> now, I didn't do that to get a call booked. I did that because whether that person wanted to work with me or not, I wanted to get them to realize the reason that they're attracting people that are constantly bartering on price and are constantly a pain in the ass is because that's how they're buying. That's the energy they're putting out. So they're telling themselves it's important. So they're the kind of people that they're attracting. That simple, right? I had a similar thing a few few months back, actually, where, you know, somebody had leaned in, they'd taken a lot of my free stuff. I'm very abundant in terms of kind of what you, you know, with all the free stuff that I kind of put out there. I'd sat the diagnostic call with this, um, prospect, this prospect and, um, you know, we got to a point whereby she was about to drop a load of money on something she didn't need. And I, I, I was like, I couldn't, like you said, car crash. This was happening right in front of me. Yeah. Um, and she was about to spend it on like a, a, a new fangled, you know, marketing course that was three times the cost of what I was, what I was sort of, you know, pitching fearless at. And we had this, re- and I, we had this really awkward conversation where I, I basically just put, you're about to waste your money. You don't have your offer straight. You don't have, you know, your prices are all out of whack. You want like this whole passive income thing. And, and yet like essentially what's happening is, and she's like, oh, what do you mean? I wasn't on about passive income. I was like, no, but you, your whole mindset has always been about um, scarcity, as in money comes and money goes. And you're, you're just about to allow that to happen again on yet another course that is not going to serve you. And she told me she spent like, like bought, bought like 20 courses or like, you know, two, between 250 and 500 pounds. And she's then telling me that my thing's too expensive. I was like, if you added up all of those courses, you could have just bought mine and we could have solved all your problems. And she was like, yeah, I know, but yeah, you know, and, and the excuses start to come out. Mm. And it does get to a point where I kind of like, with her, I wasn't, and she said some very rude things to me after that. Cause I think I just, you know, kind of gave her, like poke the bear a little bit. Mm. And, um, but I'm not afraid to like, kind of go to those awkward places to try and help people. And even after she bought it, she then sent me another message saying, sorry, you're absolutely right. I've just gone and wasted another, I think it's about 12 K or something on this, this program, this marketing course. Wow. I was like, yeah, I think I've just wasted the money. You're absolutely right. What do you do? Yeah, well, that's all you can do. Well, you can only just turn up in service and know that you did your best there and then. I think the worst thing to do is to, um, in some way, uh, one, I love this quote and I can't remember where I heard it, but it's like the number one thing that stops most people from being good sales people is the um, need to be liked. And so it's like, if you're, if on that call, your, your kind of need to be liked is interfering with 
essentially the truth or what you believe to be the truth or the thing that you feel needs to be said, then you're not really serving that client because you're letting your ego get in the way of like, oh God, like I don't want to upset this person or I don't want to say this thing because then I might not get the sale. And as soon as you start to go down that territory, like I literally had a call with someone today who's just signed up to my program and I called them and I was like, I'm not going to lie. You need to convince me why this is a good fit for you. Like why this program is that. Like I had absolutely no attachment to that outcome. Whether he comes on the program or not makes no difference to me. I will, when he comes on the program, I will serve him and I will get him the results. But if he doesn't, it will be somebody else. And so I was like, look, I, I'm, you know, I just need to know. I need to be sure that you're fully committed to this. And yeah. And so he spent 10, 15 minutes explaining to me why he should come on the program. And you only get to that point where people are selling you about your product when you genuinely are not attached to the outcome. Now, people will say, well, that's all very well for you if your business is doing well, but, but how do you do that when you've got a mortgage to pay, you've got kids to feed, yada, 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 right? And I totally get that. Like I've been there. I haven't always been in this place. And you know, Robin, like I've been frustrated with my business. I've had stuff that doesn't work. I've been at times where I'm like, oh shit, I don't even know how I'm going to like, yeah, exactly. Right. But the more you play into that, the more you give into that scarcity side of things, the more that happens. So it's almost like the harder you're trying to grab onto that stuff, the worse it gets. And I don't know what the kind of like law of physics is or whatever behind that. I'm sure there's some explanation for it. I haven't quite figured it out yet. But all I can tell you is that the more you relax and the more that you operate from a place of giving and abundance and serving, the more you get back. And it's a really difficult principle to keep in your mind when stuff isn't working. Because you're like, your monkey brain just goes crazy and it goes, holy shit, we're going to be homeless. We're not going to have a roof over our heads. Like we're not gonna be able to feed the kids. But when I take people through that, like worst case scenario, it's not actually how they've made it out in their head. It's like the worst case scenario is I take a mortgage holiday right? I get a job. I borrow some money. I like really, when we think about worst case scenario, things are always 10 times worse in our head. And so we never actually get to that point. And that's where I sh shared that fear setting tool with you, you know, that Tim Ferriss. Um, because Which is it's actually like, okay, integral, well, integral in fearless business now. It's one of the first exercises we actually get clients to do because it's such a powerful exercise. Yeah, and, absolutely. And some, there's some really interesting stuff which comes out of that. My personal take on it was that um, I, I got to a point now where I, I got comfortable with being homeless. Yeah. Right? So worst case scenario, I'm homeless, right? I would rather be poor and destitute and on the street than sell somebody onto a program that shouldn't be on the program. Absolutely. And I got comfortable with that. The moment I did that, I doubled my conversion rate. Mm. And that's, that was, that's a, a more relatively sort of recent breakthrough. And it just means that the, the, the powerful sort of, like you said, coaching conversations you have with somebody right from the word go, create that impact. And it, and it leaves people wanting more rather than feeling like dirty because you kind of pushed your product on them. Mm. Um, and it, it's, an, it's an, but you have to go to that dark place and be aware of what that looks like and get comfortable with it. That's, that's what, that's one option, mm. um, to be able to like open your horizon up a bit. And it's quite a stoic philosophy, actually. I think it was, you know, Tim Ferriss is a big fan of the stoics. And one of the things that they used to do in, in, you know, um, the kind of stoic times is, uh, they, they used to practice poverty. 
So they used to actually imagine, not just imagine it, but they used to pretend. So they used to kind of actually go out with a blanket and, and actually be like, right, I'm going to live this so that I realize that the worst case is actually I'm still, I, I will survive. Yeah. And it's about our resourcefulness as humans as much as it is about making our brain realize that that worst case scenario isn't actually as bad as we're making out. Yes, going back to survival instincts, isn't it? Mm, I've got a couple of questions, so I want to get to know Matt yeah, a little sorry, bit more. Yeah. So you had a really great opportunity come up recently. So something which uh, a guy who we're both a big fan of, Chris Doe from The Future. I'm a, I'm a mass. Anybody who's listening to this should go and check out The Future, um, the YouTube channel, because he gives some really not, not only is he incredible, it's just it's sick, it's sickening. Really, he's a nice guy, clearly very bright. You know, his videos are awesome. And because he's a graphic designer, everything looks really beautiful as well. It's like, it makes me a little bit sick. But um, you managed to get interviewed by him and had a great opportunity. So I'm just curious, like, for people, you know, how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, I'm actually now, so my intention originally was to be part, like, I wanted to coach their, their clients. So I'm now actually listed on the website as a coach for them uh, officially. And um, currently in, yeah, currently in talks with Chris about doing a, a regular monthly coaching program. So I had, um, I think about 40 or 50 of their pro group members a couple of weeks ago on a call and we were doing some mindset stuff. Uh, so yeah, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, going back to your original question, uh, how that came about was I pitched for it. Like 95% of good things that have ever happened to me in my life, I went and I asked. Um, and so to, to tell you the actual tactics, the actual strategy behind that is I actually was following, um, I want to say like the head of media, although that's not his technical um, term, but I was following him on Instagram. Um, and I just actually really liked his stuff. He, he did a lot of film in his spare time or he used to run a film company. And so I was watching a lot of his videos. He was into cycling and I was kind of like chatting away with him. And I just dropped him a, a, a message and I found his, um, his personal website where he had all his films. And I just did a message through the contact form and just said, hey, look, I've been a fan of the future for a while. Uh, I know you're kind of head of production there. I really think there's some synergy between what we're doing. Um, I'd love to just have a really quick chat with you. Um, and so he was like, yeah, sure, let's jump on a call. And so I jumped on a call. I just told him my story. I sent him a copy of my book. And he said, yeah, I think there could be some real synergy here. Let me run it by Chris and let me know, um, uh, let me get back to you and, and tell you what he thinks. And so I get an email like a week later that just says, hey, Matt, Chris loves your book, loves your story. Uh, he'd love to get you on the podcast to interview you um, as a first step. So I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then I just continued that conversation. I said, look, how, how could we continue this? And uh, it's just, just luck really in a sense that he really took to my content. And he actually said in the podcast, he said, I feel like you're the British version of me. So now I've got this quote that says I'm the British version of Chris Doe, which is like, you know, like the ultimate, the ultimate compliment really. Um, and I was just lucky that he, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew that he would to an extent. So it was an, it was an intelligent pitch because I'd been watching their content and consuming their content for a while. So I knew what he was about. I'd watched a lot of his keynotes. I knew that we shared the same beliefs and the same philosophy. So it wasn't as if I was just kind of, you know, um, throwing it out there and, and hoping for the best. I had thought a lot about how I was going to approach it and how I was going to pitch it. It could have just fallen flat though, right? And he could have just been like, yeah, it's cool, but we don't think you're a good fit for the podcast. It just so happened that he, he, he saw the value in it. 
It's uh, well, I, I'm in absolute awe because and people should go and listen to that podcast episode as well because it's really fantastic. Kind of hearing you two kind of um, spitball the ideas, and you're, you're both in a very similar sort of wavelength. So it's it, um, it's it's definitely worth a listen. We'll try and dig out the um, the link to iTunes for that one and share it in the show notes as well. Um, talk about your book as well because that's doing um, pretty pretty apart from that, it's doing pretty good things on its in its own right as well. Yeah, I've one of the things I've fallen down on slightly is I've I've kind of not got round to getting the print version up on Amazon for various reasons. Um, but yeah, it's done really well on Kindle. Um, I'd love to get it in the kind of printed book charts. I think it got to number one in about two or three different categories. One of which was like business consulting, and then it stuck around in the in the number one spot for. I think about two or three months um, in various categories. So yeah, it just it was just a kind of uh, rolling momentum from things like the, the Christo podcast and various other things that I'd I'd been on. So yeah, I'm at that point where I haven't I've left it for quite a while, and then I start to read it back, and I'm like, oh, that needs changing. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I've uh, got like um, a copywriter who's just going to go through the fine comb and just make sure that there's no like really obvious things. And then I'm going to get the print version up and then I'm going to do the audio book. Um, so yeah. And I'm already thinking about my next one, to be honest. Do it. The, um, trust me, the audiobook makes, uh, I, I, at one point I was getting twice as many downloads in the audiobook as I was compared to the paperback and Kindle combined. Oh really? So yeah, people, people eat up audiobooks. It dropped off slightly during lockdown, but it's starting to pick back up again. And you can, you can kind of track all that data in real time as well to see kind of who's, how many people are downloading it and whatnot. So well awesome. worth it. Be a great yeah. exercise. Um, cool. Matt, <clears throat> excuse me. We're coming towards the end of the, um, uh, the, the podcast now how can people get hold of you uh, well really simple I'm, we did this exercise with uh, Lucy earlier we googled ourselves and I'm quite lucky my, my dad always used to say that I should change my last name because um, he thought it was too difficult for people to remember or pronounce um, but I'm really lucky that there's there's not very many of me on Google so if you google Matt with two T's and then S-M spelled E-S-S-A-M uh, you will find me Excellent. Well, or and hopefully no murderers or um, like me, there is a Kitsap soccer coach in Canada somewhere called Robin Waite as well, which is just slightly confusing, but most people <laughs> yeah. recognise me. He's a bit older. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can check out Matt's website as well, which is mattessen.co.uk. Do go and um, grab hold of Matt's book as well from um, Amazon on Kindle. It's called Create and Prosper. And obviously you can people can search for Matt Essen as well on Amazon and find that. We've got one final question, Matt. So buckle up. We're going to jump into the fearless business time machine now. And um, we're going to, you get to like back to the future, you get to punch in the date and we're going to go back X number of years and you get to have a conversation with yourself, T minus X number of years. So when would it be and what, what do you think you'd say to yourself? Wow. Okay. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind actually is a really, really tough time I was going through uh, in my life uh, at uni and I was really stressed out because I hated my course and I was trying to change my course. I had my car stolen, had a fight with my girlfriend, like everything bad was happening in, in the space of a few weeks. And I started, I had my first ever panic attack. And at the time I didn't know what a panic attack was, right? Um, and it wasn't helped by the fact that when I was 18, I was diagnosed with a, a heart condition and arrhythmia which I got sorted out, so it was all fine. But the symptoms of a panic attack are very, very similar to a heart attack, um, if anyone's ever had one. So you're racing heart, sweaty palms, short of breath. And so I basically thought I was dying. Um, and 
unfortunately, because I'd had a pre-existing heart condition, when I went into hospital, they needed to make sure that I wasn't dying as well. So I was rushed into uh, A&E. I was, you know, put in uh, kind of intensive care to be monitored overnight and all kinds of things like that. So it was a pretty scary time. Um, and that cycle continued for a few years. I, I didn't know really what it was. It took doctors a long time to figure out that I was having panic attacks. Um, I went through CBT um, and really like part of that journey was what led me to do what I do today and have a real understanding of the brain and how powerful it is and how it works. And I think I would just go back to my 22-year-old self and just say, this will pass. Because yeah. I think for people, if anybody's experiencing anxiety or depression or any kind of mental health issues, I think part of the hardest thing is not knowing if it's ever going to end. And it just feels like this endless tunnel of darkness. Um, and I think just giving myself that reassurance that you'll get over this, this will end, like um, things will get back to normal. Gosh, wow, not just a powerful message for yourself, but I think for everybody who's listening as well. Love it, absolutely. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the Fearless Business Podcast as our guest today. Uh, really appreciate it, thank you. Thanks for having me. 